Welcome to the Mar Experience. My name is Matt Shebb. In this episode, I speak with Ashley M., who came through Mar as a client, stayed on as a volunteer for several years, and now works as a counselor at the Men's Center. We'll talk about what Mar has meant to him over the years as he's taken on these various roles here and why he's never left. What was going on for you in the days leading up? Boy, um, coming okay. into Mar. Well, I was my life was a mess <clears throat> and had been for quite a while. Uh, I started drinking around twelve and drank daily from about fifteen to forty-five. So for about thirty years, I drank daily and also used various other substances, heroin addict. Also smoked crack, so and you could fit in a bunch of other stuff too. So, but the things that was that were going on with me when I um, before I came to Moore, um, I had burned up relationships. Was living in a house that I co-owned with my sister, um, and she and other family members of mine started going to Naranon and Al-Anon meetings to get help for themselves. And um, they were trying to they were trying to figure out how to stop participating in my disease. And the way I actually got to Mar was my sister convinced me to go to a therapist with her to work on our brother-sister relationship. And it was a trick. <laughs> Um, I don't think it was a trick on her part. It just mm-hmm. turned out to be a trick. And the therapist we went to see actually was someone who had a connection with a member of the MAR staff. And about our third session, she asked me, the therapist asked me when we were going to talk about my drug and alcohol problem. And I said we weren't. And she let it sit. And then she, about the fifth session, she <laughs> she came back to it again and we talked a little bit about it, and about the seventh or eighth session, she said, you know, if you want some help, you can get it, and maybe another couple of sessions, she slid a card across the table to me, and it had a phone number on it, mm-hmm. and I promptly lost the card. Mm. And Intentionally? At, well, I, you know, maybe a little bit of both, mm-hmm. and then I eventually came back to her, and I had no idea what she was doing. Actually, was building some trust with me by not attacking me about the problem, but being available to talk with about the mm-hmm. problem. And um, and eventually I asked her for the number again. Mm-hmm. She did a great job. She did a wonderful job. Of, and she gave me the number again and I called it and it was actually the man who was the clinical director for Mar at the time. And it was his direct phone. Oh, wow. And I got him, I had no idea, but uh, she just did a great job of positioning me and uh, and he then talked with me for a little while and then turned me over to assessment staff. And we did an assessment on the phone and they said, you are a candidate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, we would we think you could come on in. Um, and actually, I would love to say that I just tootled right down the next day. But actually, it took me five weeks to actually come through the doors and enter. What was that first day like when you were... Can you remember it, or is it still pretty foggy? I actually do. You know, I kept a journal, too, um, for the first couple of months I was here. And um, I I thought that I was going to come to a uh, – I thought it was going to be more like a hospital setting. I had no experience with uh, any kind of rehabilitation. Or, and um, I, I had in my mind, you know, being in a robe in a 
wing of a hospital or something. And um, so it, it was not what I expected. Um, and I immediately met <clears throat> members, uh, peers that were going to be in my community and going to be apartment mates of mine. And they were very welcoming. Um, in fact, one of them insisted upon carrying part of my baggage. Um, and I just, I felt, even though I was uncomfortable, I felt welcomed by these guys, um, um, which, you know, was, was not, it was, it was not what I expected. Um, I had no, I had no concept of what the therapeutic community model was. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I expected, I think, to be interacting with doctors of stuff. Stuff yeah. Like that and um, the first day, um, I spent a little bit of time at the at the men's recovery center, and then we went to the residence. Um, <clears throat> I had to go through the process, the uh, intake process, which took a little while. But then we went um, we went to the residence, and I I was I basically by that time had met all of my I had three roommates. I lived in a community of two residences. So there were a total of eight of us, four in each apartment, and and um, basically was met my roommate to be, who was uh, a guy. His name was Mark, and he was an old warhorse of <laughs> of treatment. Um, I think this was his ninth, eighth or ninth treatment. <clears throat> I was a neophyte. And I actually remember thinking to myself, oh, they did this on purpose. They put the new guy in with somebody who's way experienced. I don't think they did that necessarily on purpose, but I remember thinking that. And then there were two other guys, Jeff and Bill, who were in the same apartment. <clears throat> and uh, basically, you know, here's your, here's your room, here's your dresser. To, I remember unpacking my, my suitcase, somebody's. Somebody had mentioned that to me that, you know, the sooner you unpack, the better. And I think that was <laughs> that was literal as well as figurative. Right. Uh, I know that better now. But uh, <laughs> at the time, I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Um, and they did. They said several times that we're going to give you time to get here. And I remember thinking, well, I am here. I'm not sure what you mean. Um, so I was I was dealing with the literal um, but, uh, the whole idea of that it was our apartment, um, that was a little different to me. I guess I got comfortable really quickly over at the apartment, um, where I was uncomfortable in the setting, uh, the therapeutic setting of the men's center at the apartment. It seemed very different to me. And it was like, almost like we had our little space. It was maybe less than a 10-minute ride from the men's center, but there was, a, there was a physical separation between the two, so it made it feel like, like I had a little uh, safe area, and I had my guys that were looking out for me. Um, Your roommates? Yeah, that were there. Um, it just felt totally different. It's hard for me to describe. And I was surprised at how quickly I became comfortable in the residence. We immediately went out onto the back porch, the proverbial back porch, and, and everybody started smoking cigarettes and talking. Um, I had no idea that that was really, that was going to be a place where I was going to, over the next months, was going to make connections with people uh, and talk about things that I had no idea that I would talk about.
that had did not plan to talk about. It, it was a it's a pretty amazing thing. I, I didn't have that uh, awareness that day, but the beginning of what was to come was the seed was planted. I, I think the first day walking in and um, Mark was the cook, so to speak, of that apartment. A very good cook. He cooked a meal that night. Um, I came from a guy who was living in an apartment, living in squalor, really. Um, dishes in the sink. I was down to washing uh, one bowl, one spoon, and one fork, and not washing. So I had dishes in my sink that had been in the sink for months. Mm-hmm. And um, somehow or another, it became important to me to kind of clean things up mm-hmm. <laughs> really quickly. Uh, because I wasn't living alone anymore, and I had been living that way for so long. And uh, how long you been living alone? I had been living alone for five or six years since I had run ran the ran the last partner off, mm-hmm. ran the last girlfriend off. Um, and uh, so there was something different there. I had guys, and and um, they helped give me a sense of taking care of the space you were living in, which was something I wasn't capable of on my own, but I got it from them. Um, It's funny how that can happen, that together we can give each other that sense of we're worth it when left to my own devices. I don't know that way. I don't know how to find that way. Yeah, you could have lived by yourself for 20 years. Yeah, and I felt terrible about myself, and I didn't deserve a good place to live in. And all of a sudden, I'm with these other guys, and they are, without even being aware of it, they're showing me how to give yourself worth and take care of the things around you. Um, And um, that's that began happening almost immediately, and I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. I can see it in hindsight. Wow. But at the time... I didn't. I didn't know I was being. A change was was being affected <laughs> almost immediately. So that's going on over there at the residence. I say over there because we're here close to the men's center right now. You didn't quite feel as comfortable here. What was that experience like being <clears throat> being at the men's center in the groups during the day? The men's. It was a yeah. I was always. Uh, I felt a little more guarded at the men's center and I, I was I felt like I was on the spot and I was gonna be asked questions and people were trying to, you know, there was some agenda or something. I don't know what it was, but I, I, I guarded would be a good way to describe it. So I was always kind of on the lookout. Um like they're waiting for you to slip up or Yeah, you're just gonna catch me or what was the right thing to say. You had to be careful what you said. Uh, you know, you didn't almost I w I wanna give the don't wanna give the the counselors too much information, but I don't want to not give them enough. And, um, I didn't know how to be honest, really. Uh, uh, I was really, really blessed. I mean, there was a man named Pat who was my primary counselor, and he just, he made it easy. And for some reason, I began to be able to trust Pat pretty quickly. And uh, he didn't, I didn't feel threatened by Pat. Now, there were some of the counselors I felt threatened by, they did a really good. <laughs> they did a good job. That was one of the things I'll have to say. That one of the things that there was a, a varied staff. Not everybody's style was the same. Some people were, seemed very direct and blunt, and others seemed to be very easygoing. And uh, I gravitated towards the easygoing. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, Pat 
just put me at ease. And before you know it, I would win the three days a week. We would have a primary group was the last group of the day for day treatment. I would follow Pat back to his office after primary group to ask him questions. And he would smile and laugh with, at me and with me. And uh, he just, he put me at ease. Uh, uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. So, uh, um, but that was a gradual thing, though. It didn't happen right away. And, and I still was on guard at the men's center. I think years of living one way, you don't change right away. There were a couple others. A guy named Bill was my house house manager, and there was another guy named Tommy who... Tommy helped me see that I was angry. You didn't know that? I didn't know it. In fact, I claimed I wasn't. I said I wasn't angry at all. Uh, I said, I don't know what you're talking about when they told me I was angry, and Tommy just smiled at me. And uh, one of the things that you do at Moore's, you go as an apartment, you go grocery shopping together. There's a lot of opportunity to practice spiritual principles when you're grocery shopping. You wouldn't think so, but it's, this is this is really the case. It's one of the, one of those it's full of opportunities that you throw four guys together who've never lived together before, and you have to figure out how to take a certain amount of money and plan for for meals and go and shopping together and and then come home and then you cook it too. And so I think at that time we had 125 dollars. I think to shop for the week for four people. I believe that's right. And so we had these these vouchers. Um, so the idea was to spend right up to 125, not anymore. So we went to the store and we did, we really planned and we worked really hard and we got up to the cash register. Um, we came within two cents of $125 on the first try. We didn't have to put anything back and we didn't have to like, oh, say get a candy bar. Uh, spend all our money, and it was like a real celebration for us. It was like we had accomplished something together. And so Monday morning, I was celebrating that. I thought it was a great accomplishment mm-hmm. that we had done together. And Tommy looked at me, and he, he said, that's such alcoholic thinking. And it, boy, I saw red when he said that. And I thought he was raining on my parade, and I snatched my sheet back from him, and I scribbled all over it, all the stuff I was feeling filled in all the blank parts of the sheet with how angry I was and I passed it back to him and he looked at me and smiled and he said so you're the guy who's not angry and I said damn it (laughs) (laughs) but uh it was and he just smiled at me and I said oh it's a trick he tricked me but the point was is that I actually was able to consider that and look at that and realize you know there's a lot of stuff that I'm feeling that I'm not even in touch with. And one of the things that happened to me at Mar was not so much that I was able to articulate what I was feeling very well or right away, but that I was able to start identifying feelings that I had because mm-hmm. I really didn't have any idea most of the time what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So it was to be able to slow down enough and be together with other men and actually ask myself what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was kind of a beginning of that. Um, and I, 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 I didn't like it always. Uh, in fact, sometimes I really disliked it. it. Made me made me uncomfortable. But it was a beginning of a practice that I still use today. I'm still working out and practicing the ability to articulate what I'm thinking and feeling, and that's a work 
you probably, you know, that's a lifelong thing, I think. But I do believe that I'm much better at actually being able to identify things that I'm feeling. One of the things that I think I learned to start doing, um, I'm a fairly passive person, and for me, it was to start to be able to assert myself and address conflict. So when you put four or eight guys together who didn't live together, and you put them together and ask them to be a community, there's going to be conflict. In fact, if there's not conflict, there's some there's a problem. Um, there has to be some conflict, and how you deal with that conflict, not let's have no conflict at all, but how you address and deal with the conflict. And um, so there's that beginning of being able to get to be part of a community and then out of care and concern for the other individuals in the community as a whole to be able to address those conflicts and try to, in the healthiest way possible, try to sort through that. Mm -hmm. And so doing that with a staff member present to sort of keep it safe mm -hmm. um, is a really sort of a good mix of those two things of what's going on at the men's center and what's going on in the, in the community. Um, and I, that, that's, uh, that's priceless, that ability to have both those things. Uh, um, really, in my mind, a really, a, a really good counselor in those situations is one that knows when to stay back and try to give the the community as much room as possible to work through their things, but also then to know where to push, to step forward at the appropriate times so that they can, everybody can feel supportive um, <clears throat> and when to ask the right questions, mm -hmm. but not do it for the community. Basically try to support the community and let the community treat each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really think that's it's one of the beautiful things that happens at Moore. Um, and uh, it's not an easy thing. As a, I think sometimes, I don't want to jump the gun, but as a, I think as a counselor, sometimes the, the tendency is, is to want to jump in and fix it. Um, sort of, but really being able to wait and stay back <clears throat> and try to support the community and taking care of each other is really, is a goal, I think. Um, so I didn't realize any of that at the time, and uh, uh, I do remember being asked by counselors at the men's center to address things in community meetings when I certainly would rather have not. <laughs> My thought at the time was, well, why not? I'd rather you take care of that right. instead of me. Um, and they would smile and say, no, no, <laughs> we're going to ask you to do that. So was there a moment... Um, that you remember where the, that was kind of like a tipping point for you in terms of thinking that to being suspicious of all this, like taking root and actually lasting to switching over into, I think this might actually work. I might be able to take what they're teaching me here and live a pretty happy, reasonably, reasonably happy life. Um, I remember Doug Brush in a group looking at me and asking me if I thought I was worth saving. And I didn't have an answer when he asked me that. I didn't, I mean, I, I wasn't able to come right back with yes or no. It was, it was sort of like, I didn't say this, but my thought was I'll have to think about that. Um, mm -hmm. And somewhere along the lines, I think what happened was is that I could answer yes to that. 
Okay. But it was not, I couldn't put you on a point where that happened. Right. I think that was a, something that happened over, over, over time. Right. Which is, may still be happening today. Right, right. Yeah. Fact. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not something that most people just, oh, okay, I get it. I'm worth it. You kind of have to chip away at that. De- develop that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about this on the podcast, but I, you got kicked out, right? I absolutely did. Okay. Um, so that, that I can, and the way you, you, you told it to me last time, I remember that being kind of a dramatic turning point of, of, um, very, for you. Very much so. Crucial. Crucial. Um, Do you mind talking about? I it? don't mind talking about it. I want to be one of the things I want to be clear is is that when I I tell this story and I'll tell part of it now is but I always want to preface it by saying it's not a path I would recommend. <laughs> uh, I always want to be clear about that to make sure that people don't think that I'm going. This is how it should you should try this. Um, so I had had while I was at Moore, I had a relapse. I was local and I and I had a relapse. I don't even know if you could really call it a relapse because I'm not sure I was sober really. Uh, I've been absent for a little while. And I, so I had uh, a couple of instances where I was able to get off by myself and, and I knew where to get certain things. Anyway, I had relapses and I hadn't gotten caught. And I, um, I decided somehow or another in that process that I was actually going to be serious about this thing and I was going to get sober. Um, so I was really trying really hard really, really trying really hard. Um, so, but I had a secret. So I was trying to do everything I could right. So um, you were you were in the 90 days here. I was in the 90 days. But you had relapsed. But I had relapsed and then I had gotten off and, and relapsed. But somehow or another, I had an experience. I really did. I had an experience which, which actually told me that I couldn't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it actually was one of those things which it cemented the idea that I was powerless, mm-hmm. left to my own devices, I was powerless. So it, <laughs> it was not my intention, but that's what happened is it proved to me that that uh, left to my own devices that I was screwed. Mm-hmm. And I accepted that. It was, it was a moment, and I accepted that. But I didn't accept the fact that I needed to, <laughs> that that, honesty would be the foundation that this thing would work on for me that so my fear was if I told them I would get kicked out so I couldn't tell them but if I did everything right my thinking was twisted then I would it would work for me and I would get better so I really tried to work myself into sobriety without being honest and uh, it almost killed me Mm -hmm. Um, so I was getting better and sicker at the same time because so you had this best, secret. Best way I can say it is, yeah. I was trying as hard as I could to make this thing work, and and also at the same time, I was not doing the thing I most needed to do, which was to get honest. And I was afraid. Like I said, I was afraid that I couldn't tell them because I would get kicked out, and I thought if I got kicked out, it would be the end of the world for me, and I would I would die. So I just set about doing everything I could to get better, and. Um, started working with a sponsor, but doing all that stuff, but it didn't ring true because I wasn't being honest. And uh, I actually even started, strangely enough, this is this is a disease for you. Um, I got to the point where I thought my answer was going to be, I was just going to kill myself. <laughs> How crazy is that? Yeah. Wow. Not, so it's get honest or kill myself. Well, I think I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. Um, but eventually what happened is, is I think, you know, I was praying 
um, doing all these other things except for that one thing. And so at one point I told myself, you know what, I'll just wait till I have a year and then I'll tell them. And that helped me for about a week. (laughs) I felt better for about a week. And then I realized, you know, this isn't going to work either. So eventually I woke up one morning and um, literally just sort of said, I know what I have to do. And I got up and this is a beautiful thing happened. Uh, so somehow or another, I got enough grace uh, to realize that I had to do, regardless of whatever happened and what the consequence was, that I needed to do what I needed to do. And uh, I was able to get honest with them, and it was such a relief to me. And at that point, then I realized that whatever happened wasn't important. The fact was is that if I took this path, I could stay sober. And I, and I did. Um, and they kicked me out. Um, they kicked me out, and they said basically the dishonesty of all that time, um, even though it had been many, many months back since the relapse. Uh, they kicked me out. Now, here's the thing. This is what I want to say, something I want to say about Mar. Um, they told me, so I had been there almost nine months. So you were in extended. I was in extended stay at the time. Yeah. Um, literally, it was coming up on a nine-month shift, which wouldn't have been real right. because my sobriety date was false. Um so I remember uh, I met with Tommy at one point and Bill, and I met with Doug. Um, Could you just explain to the listeners who Doug Brush is? Well, he's the director of the men's center, the men's program. Um, and uh, gosh, man, he is, <laughs> he is a model. He's a, he's a mentor, uh, and he's a mentor of many. And Doug told me that I was family. He said, you have to move out. Um, you have to move out of the program, but you're family here. And we want you to know that. We want you to, <laughs> we want you to understand that you're part of the family and that we're not throwing you away, but we can't allow you to stay living in the residences anymore. <clears throat> and uh, so I moved out. And he, Doug told me that I could come to groups. Well, he told me that. That was on a Monday. And on a Wednesday, he came by my job site and gave me a ride to the 630 Spiritual Life Group that Wednesday, which had been my spiritual life group the whole time I'd been in Mar. So not only did he tell me that I was family, he showed me that I was family in now, they wouldn't do it for me. I had to participate in it, but I continued to come to groups and more after they, they, made, they made the opportunity for me. They made it available for me. And I continued. The Saturday morning group at 9 o'clock, the non-professionals group, was a group I had attended all, all along. Uh, the next Saturday, I showed up for the 9 o'clock Saturday group, and they allowed me to come and sit in on it. Um, I run that group now Um, (laughs) that just, you know, many years later, but I just never stopped coming to it. They told me that I could. Now, I mean, it would have, I could have not come. My pride could have kept me from coming. But something in me, they offered for me to be a part of the family, but I had to come to it was basically what I heard. Uh, no, we're not going to do it for you, but we'll do it with you. Mm-hmm. And so I just never stopped coming to that 9 o'clock group. 
and eventually years later as a volunteer uh, Doug came to me one time and said you know we we're gonna need somebody new to do the group <laughs> you, you've been coming to it longer than anybody would you consider doing the group how long had you been coming for that at that point ah uh, you know probably six or seven years wow seven years maybe um and uh so so tell for people that might be interested in being volunteers can you give us a picture of what that looks well, like well this is what happened within and what i was told by staff is that i could be a volunteer <clears throat> i i continue to come to that group but i could be a volunteer if i would attend volunteer training which they hold at least once a year and it's four evenings two mondays and two tuesdays usually in the spring um, and so you come and you, you get a training. And uh, is it always alcoholics or addicts that are volunteers? No, and any anyone can come. Um, and sometimes what happens is uh, family members of alcoholics and addicts come and do the volunteer training and participate in various groups. And there's all kinds of different ways that you can volunteer. Um, when I was in more in in the halfway, uh, a volunteer came in and sat in our community group. Um, and uh, she was useful there. She never said much, but she was useful. Just her presence was useful. One of the things it did was her presence gave us value. The mere fact that she would come to spend her Monday afternoon <laughs> with us every Monday somehow or another said that we there was something important about that. And I, I think it was almost an unspoken way to, uh, to give a value to the individuals that were in treatment. Um, pretty amazing sort of thing I mean I, I will tell you I, I asked myself I wondered to myself wonder why she is here um, and my conclusion was that there, there's a reason you know there's a reason and the reason has to be <laughs> it has to involve us on some level because it's our group we're here in treatment um, Maybe that was part of the learning to believe that you're worth it. It may be, you know. I mean, I think a lot of those things happen on almost a subconscious mm -hmm. level. Um, and so I took the volunteer training too. And then, uh, and over the years, gosh, I've been very few, few groups at MAR that I haven't volunteered in. Um, the professionals group, uh, I did that for a couple of years. And many, there's three different spiritual life groups. And, um, I have always um, found it highly therapeutic to me to be around other people who are pursuing change. Um, even when I am stalled out sometimes <laughs> in, in my own pursuit of change, there's a value that I receive by being around people that are struggling to change. It's a beautiful thing that can happen. I highly recommend it. <laughs> There's people that have been coming as volunteers for years, I, there, like decades, right? There absolutely are. There, I still that I never st never came through Mar or mm -hmm. that's that's true. Yeah. Um, I had there's a Wednesday night uh, group at St. John's Methodist Church. Uh, um, that uh, there's a woman in there who was a volunteer when I showed up in September of of 2005, and she is still a volunteer. And I don't know. I, she's 25 years or so I think probably she's been volunteering um, and that's true in many other areas uh, long-term volunteers um, that that say something about uh, they say something about the program here 
Mm-hmm. Just their presence says something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a. I'll, I'll tell you one other a quick story about the that uh, when I showed up, um, the St. John's group was my spiritual life group Wednesday at six thirty, as I said, and uh, there was a gentleman named Carrie there. When I showed up, so we had the spiritual life groups in churches, and my thought was. Um, I was brought up with a certain disdain for organized religion. I mean, that was in my family. I was taught that, that there's a hypocrisy and a bigotry and, and racism and all these things that are involved in organized religion. And I kind of somehow equated that with God. And I don't think my parents were giving me the message about God. They were talking about organized religion. So I had a bias, uh, prejudice, not even bias. It was a prejudice. So when we started that group, I went to that group, and it was in a church, and I was on the, I was watching out. I was like, okay, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna try to indoctrinate me or something. And so my introduction to that group, basically, I said to that group, my name's Ashley, and I'm here, and and I don't want your religion. Keep it away from me. <laughs> I was very direct, <laughs> and they smiled at me and uh-huh. nodded their heads, and I thought, what are these people? These people are stupid. Um, but I just was sure they had an agenda, a religious agenda. And after the group, my very first group, Carrie, who's an 80-plus-year-old World War II vet, was just a wonderful man. He has passed on now. Came up to me, and he said, I have something that may be useful for you. And I thought at first, here it comes. He's, <laughs> here comes his pitch. Mm-hmm. He's going to try. <laughs> here it comes. He's going to preach. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is a way of looking at organized religion. And I didn't know, he's one of the, he was a member of the church uh, in good standing. He said, here's a way to think about organized religion. It's imperfect man's attempt to relate to the perfect, and we don't always get it right. And that was a revelation to mm-hmm. me. I didn't even realize. It was, and what that did, I thought, oh, my God. And what that did was allow me to come back next week with a little crack of, I can listen to something that you guys have to say. Um, Just a little opening there. Um, And it was such a wonderful thing that he did for me. And he kind of taught me patience and tolerance. These people were so patient with me that I came into their group (laughs) and introduced myself (laughs) and said, y'all stay back away from me. And he came up afterwards and said something loving and kind to me. And, um, and I began to be able to trust him just a little bit. That's a great story. Yeah, just a little bit. And I can't tell you how many people I have told that to. Uh-huh. <laughs> that you know that I have that I stole that from Carrie, and and I get to use it today. Uh, occasionally, with a guy who comes in, I'll see a guy and go, "Oh yeah, he's one that that's yeah." Tell him that. Right. So. It sounds like you kind of never left, Mar. Really, that's true. Really, yeah. You got discharged as a client, but you never. You I'm pretty really. Much picked I'm, up. I'm still here. Yeah, that's that's the best way that you can say it. Um, well, you know, Matt. Here's the way I look at it. I mean, I'm I'm on staff now, and I I thought that I would pay back because I really think Mar saved my life. Coming to Mar saved my life. I really did. I mean, I think I was dying one day at a time. And I really didn't have much to live for. And I thought, ter- I just had a, a t- terrible opinion of myself. Um, I couldn't, I felt so bad about myself, I couldn't accept help. It was, I, I had had offers of treatment before, and I couldn't take them because I didn't think I was worth it. Um, so I finally got here, grace of God, got here. And, um, and 
something happened and I got helped and, and really feel like it saved my life. And so my idea was that I would give back. And I had a model of a gentleman like Doug Brush who would come and pick me up, who, who discharges me from the program and then gives me rides to groups. So he told me I was part of, part of the family and then he showed me that I was part of the family. And so he kind of set the stage for me. This is how you do it. So I'm like, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. Let me try to do it the way he does it. And so I'm trying to pay back. Like, you know, like I feel like there's a tab and I'm trying to pay it off. And what ends up happening is I end up owing more. The bill just gets bigger. And so I don't think I can ever pay it off. I <laughs> right. think I just end up getting more and more indebted more <laughs> instead of being able to pay back and in my attempts to pay back. I gain so much. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that today. Um, I, you know, I, I really don't think I would be here today I, um, if I hadn't come through the doors of Mar. Um, so, you know, it just seems like the thing to do. Yeah. So when when did that switch happen to becoming a staff member, and, and what was that transition like for you? Well, to be honest with you, I really tried not to do that for a long time. Not um, become a staff member? Yes. Yeah. I, I really, to be honest with you, I, I, there was something about being a volunteer. I, I have a business. <laughs> um, so I really, to, I didn't need a job. Um, but I kept saying no to opportunities. Um, and uh, I remember having a conversation with my sponsor one day. And he said to me, <laughs> he looked at me and and he said, you know, maybe you're supposed to say yes. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I had never that had never occurred uh-huh. to me uh, that um, I, I, I kind of felt like I was doing volunteer stuff and, and I was I was doing service work in that way. And uh and it just didn't occur to me that I kept kind of being in positions where it was like I could step this way and, and I could move into this area and maybe pursue, uh, I don't even want to say a career because I don't really think about it that way, but I could pursue this path. Mm-hmm. And the way he put it to me was that the path is there and keeps being there and you keep not taking it. I, you know. And when I thought about it that way, I thought maybe that I, maybe there's something to that. So it was kind of like a surrender, really. I mean, it really was. I was told that if you ever, that the idea at Mars is that we're really trying to get you to, to a point where you can realize and, and have a surrender of, at some point in the process. And if you once have a surrender, then you can, that makes it possible for you to have more surrenders going forward. And, um, and I certainly had some surrenders while I was a client at Mar. Um, and I think that's an ongoing thing that's continuing to happen. So maybe some of those that I had in the early days as a client made it possible for me to <laughs> to stay engaged right. and, and uh, have other surrenders. So I really think it was not my idea. I think I fought the idea and yet ended up here anyway. So you said you don't think of it as a career. What do you think of it? As? I guess, you know, I say a path. I think it's like a calling. Uh, mm. I guess is the best way I could say it. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm really not. That sounds too, <laughs> that sounds religious to me. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think I really feel um, 
don't get me wrong, Matt. There are some days when I go, oh, my, what am I doing? But I think anybody's going to have days like that. Sure. But um, the idea of feeling like uh, I'm really um, – I'm really doing something that can have an effect and can help people, and that feels like that's the right path. Yeah. Um, and, um, boy, you know, if I have more days that are like that than not like that, then I think that's doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, and I will, ex- I will accept that. Uh, there's some days when I want to pull what little hair I have out because mm-hmm. uh, I really feel like it's one of those situations, like I was saying earlier, where I feel like I'm dealing with a client who does not want to participate in their own recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working harder than they are, and I'm frustrated by that. And then I realize, well, wait a minute, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I am that guy, <laughs> and that switches my perspective a little bit, and I can go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I can participate with this guy in some way, and maybe there's something I have to offer him. Uh, and it switches the, flips the switch a little bit for me. Um, so, yeah, I think it's useful that I was a client here. It helps me yeah. perspective-wise. Um, I got something here. There's no question about it. Uh, I was given something, and for some reason I was in the right position to, to receive it and accept it, mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm stubborn and I fought it at the same time. So what was it that you were given? Here's a, here's a way I can say it that was given to me is that uh, I am willing to participate with, in the grace that I'm asking for. Um, I was not a praying guy when I got here, uh, and I still, I still have some inside of me some kind of little thing that balks at it, and yet I do it every morning. Um, but I ask for help every morning, and sometimes on my good days during the day, I'm able to recognize that something happened, and I'm able to say thank you. Because I feel like, ah, I asked for that this morning, and there it is. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So somehow or another, being able to participate in that, I was closed off to anything like that when I showed up here. Um, So the idea that I'm able to see in other people uh, possibilities, I just really was walled off. I I was empty inside. I was a hull of a human. Um, and I couldn't make connections with people. And I think today, um, there's, it's just very different. Today, I actually have a space, uh, and I think it's all started right here, started in the community, that I have a space to be aware of and available for somebody else. Um, and still, also, be able to practice being responsible for myself, too. Um, now, I need help with that all along. Um, I need help with that in many ways, but I think it started, uh, that started to become possible when I entered Mar, when I walked through the doors of Mar and became part of a therapeutic community. Um, that's where it started. And like I said, I don't think I was aware of any of that happening as it happened. It's more in hindsight. Yeah, right. And that's what's so beautiful to be around guys that that's happening with today because uh, sometimes you're, you're, you you see it happening. You go. He doesn't. He doesn't even know it. Yeah. And it's happening right now with him, and right. he doesn't know it, um, which is pretty pretty fun. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. This is awesome. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, any way that I can participate in more, um, I'm willing to. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you'd like to be involved or give us feedback regarding the podcast, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. 
And if you want to stay connected with what's going on at MAR, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll see you next time.